Hello and welcome back to the Primary Education Voices podcast, the podcast dedicated to the exciting world of primary education with me, your host, Matt Roberts. If you're a member of staff in primary education, then this podcast is for you. We have a special guest every week who will be sharing what they are passionate about in primary education, and you cannot miss the great CPD that is here for you all for free, of course, uh, with these great uh, people who have been recommended by previous guests on the podcast. We've got a few more weeks left of term, and we're hopeful to get a couple more episodes out before the term finishes so that you can uh, learn some more things before you have a well-earned break over the summer. And then, of course, in September, we'll we'll be back again with another batch of fantastic episodes for you. Uh, Today, uh, we sat down with Alex Barton. Uh, Alex uh, is known on Twitter as at MrB underscore Y3, um, and he uh, was recommended to us by Kyrome Adams. And so that was, if you, for any listeners of the podcast who've been with us for a while, you'll know that Kyrome was actually, uh, his episode was published about a year ago or so. So it has been a little uh, while coming this episode with Alex, but I'm so grateful now that we're able to meet up and uh, talk all things primary together. Alex is a, currently a year three teacher. He is also an English lead. After having been a reading for pleasure lead and a history lead in his school, uh, he is the author of Reading Recharged, which is uh, available at Bloomsbury. And he's only been teaching for four years, which is incredible. Um, he is a great um, inspirational person in primary education. And so uh, I can't wait to share with you uh, some of the things we discussed today. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the, the discussion that we had with Alex Barton. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Alex Barton. How are you doing today, Alex? I am very well, thank you, Matt. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. We've been blasted with a heat wave over this week, but it's a bit cooler today, so uh, a bit of relief. <laughs> Uh, thanks for joining us today. You were recommended by Cairo and it's taken us a little while to get together, but I'm very excited to have you on today. Very excited to have you with us. I hope I'll be as interesting as Cairo. <laughs> sure you will be. Well, let's start off with your quick fire questions. First of all, Alex, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, it's Mr. B underscore yeah, at Y3. Excellent. Fantastic. I always like the combinations of Mr. and then initials and Y or year and <laughs> underscore. So it's important to get that right so we can find you on Twitter. That's great. Uh, how many years have you been in primary education, Alex? Uh, four years. Excellent. And in those four years, what has been your primary journey so far? What roles and responsibilities have you had in that time? Okay, so uh, when I arrived at Three Peaks uh, Primary Academy in Tamworth, I was the history lead um, in my first year and then um, very quickly managed to get my teeth sunk into reading. Uh, So I was given a a, a kind of like a niche reading for pleasure lead, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, During that time, managed to uh, get some new books in the library, a vending machine, all the sort of like fancy things that are are going around at Twitter at the moment. And uh, and then sort of like uh, I was a little bit lucky in terms of being able to be given the English lead role because another member of Stafford had left and it was perfect for me at the time. Um, Quite a big jump from reading for pleasure. Uh, But yeah, so I'm now the English lead at Three Peaks in, in Tamworth. Fantastic, lovely stuff. And we'll get stuck into all of that reading discussion later as well uh, with your primary three, I know. So I can't wait to talk about that. Uh, what is your favourite subject and why? Um, well, I do I do love teaching reading, um, but uh, other than reading, I'd probably say history. Um, and, and that's something that's actually only been developed for myself since teaching primary. I used to hate it at school. 
uh, but actually teaching it uh, and teaching chronology and teaching about the Stone Age and the Romans, I've got a real passion for that. And I, fo- I find it's one that the children enjoy a lot in the classroom as well. So I'd probably say history other than reading. Yeah, it's always interesting that so often on this podcast, we have people who've kind of come to love subjects when they've taught them. And I think it's when you get that, that real passion behind it that it uh, it works out that way. That's great. Uh, in your own education, uh, Alex, uh, did you have a favourite teacher and why were they your favourite teacher? Yeah, so that would have been uh, Miss Kimberly in year six uh, when I was younger. Um, now, of course, year six, SATS year, the pressure of SATS, but her compassion was what set her out to all the other members of staff at the school. Um, she was very caring and I was a very nervous child in primary school. I was quite a small lad. And the nerves that I had about going to secondary school were pretty severe. And the support that she gave me during that transition um, was incredible. So, yeah, you do always remember your favourite teacher. And she was definitely uh, my favourite. Fantastic. Uh, And then finally, if you had to or if you already do, what after school club would you run? So I do run a, a book club um which the children love uh kind of like tackling new authors each week um when i when i took the role on as uh kind of reading for pleasure we were very much a david williams is my favorite author roald dahl is my favorite author school you know how it is and and i'm, I'm not one of those who'll say right no i don't want you reading david williams as far as i'm concerned any book that gets children reading is is positive in my eyes but just opening the children's eyes to other authors in the, in the book club. Um, parents have appreciated it because parents don't sort of know where to go as well with uh, with buying books. When you go to your Asda's and your Sainsbury's and you see the shelves are stacked with the same authors and, and they're just so limited, I think we as teachers have that responsibility to open their eyes to other authors as well. Mm, so true. That's a really good point because like you say, often to, to find these other authors, you've got to go to a, like a, a specific bookstore to be able to see those books and often... Time for busy parents is is is, is at a premium. So when they're out, the yeah, I, mean, I, I live in Tamworth, Matt, and Tamworth in the town centre. That there are there are no shops where you can actually buy books. Mm. You know, there, there's no Debate Smith in the town centre. So you have to go kind of to the outskirts, and then you've got your Asda, your Sainsbury's, but they all start the same. You know, the Diary of a Wimpy Kid, the David Williams, mm. the, the Julia Donaldson. So yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really important point. And obviously, we'll be talking about the reading side of things in a moment as well. So this is great. Uh, let's move on then to the next question. So for you, Alex, what inspired you in the first place to become involved in primary education? Um, well, it's funny you say that because I did a an undergrad in media and communications um, with the kind of idea of wanting to work as a journalist um, in, in hopefully sports so kind of like a football reporter. But I very quickly found after after those three years that many of the opportunities were only freelance mm. and it wasn't something that I was confident with. You know, as, as a young man growing up, you want to be able to save for a mortgage, you want to be able to kind of have those career aspirations. And for me, it wasn't a career as such. So it was actually my mum because uh, we, we, we looked at the Year 6 uh, Leavers book that I that my little face was in and it said you know what do you want to be when you're older and it was primary school teacher and uh, somewhere along the line that went a little bit foggy but uh, yeah I applied for for a PGCE at Birmingham City University and uh, managed to get the, a position and never looked back so um, yeah it was my mum really. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent so I suppose obviously you, you had some sort of in, intention or aspiration to do it at some stage but then obviously like you say that kind of disappeared over time what would you say yeah. it was that made you um, 
think about primary school, whether whether it's the year six Alex we're talking about here or the Alex that went on to that PGCE, what would you say kind of attracted you to, to the role of a primary, uh, primary education? Um, to be honest, I, I did a little bit of work experience um, because I had it in the back. It was always been in the back of my mind, but it was always like, oh, do I really want to go back to school? You know, you, you've just managed to leave university. You've just finally managed to leave education behind. Do you really want to go back to all of it? So I did a little bit of work experience uh, and very quickly kind of found that it was where I wanted to be, you know, being in the classroom, providing support for the children, getting to know the children. And and, and it was sort of that, that work experience that's triggered me to, to really go for it. And uh, as I said, best decision I ever made, I think. Yeah, fantastic. It's funny you say that, actually. That's just reminded me of a comment that one of my friends said in secondary school when they were talking about, you know, what they would do. And then they said, oh, I, wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to be a teacher. You'd end up never leaving the classroom. You'd go to university and just stay in classroom. And I was like, oh, because it was something which I would wanted to do for a long time, be a teacher. And it did make me pause and think, oh, yeah, that is true. Well, is that something I want to do? Ultimately, obviously, I'm here and this is what I'm doing. Yeah. I love it. But it, yeah. it is. It's interesting, that, isn't it? That, you know, it is something to, that makes people think sometimes. So let's move on uh, to your next question then, which is uh, obviously about primary education. Uh, there's some great stuff that happens all the time, some funny things that happen. What's a, a funny story that you can share from being in primary education? <laughs> um, right, so what I, I can share with you quite an embarrassing moment. Um, I, I don't tend to shout a lot. Uh, I'm kind of like against shouting in the classroom. Um but one of the children was being a little bit reckless and, and putting other, other students at risk a little bit. So I, I did have to raise my voice a little bit and um, I was giving him a yellow card. And as I was as I was shouting, it was kind of like, right, get down from that table. <laughs> and my voice, my voice suddenly went upwards and the whole class just erupted in laughter. And the seriousness of the situation literally just deflated because everybody was in stitches. And I just lost all sense of authority in that moment. So any advice I'd give to any kind of like NQTs or trainee teachers is if you're going to raise your voice, <clears throat> deep breath first, make sure the voice is ready to be projected <laughs> <laughs> because you will lose any sense of authority if that voice goes upwards like it did. <laughs> uh, and as I said, it's not something that I do a lot shouting in the classroom. So when I did it, I don't think my, my body was ready for it. So yeah, that was, uh, that was quite funny. Um, I've also walked into the wrong class to teach before, um, and that was on my. That was when I was training um, as a PGCE. Uh, had no idea why, because it wasn't as if it was my first day. Just completely walked into the wrong classroom. Didn't even register that the children in there were children I'd never seen before. Went to the front of the classroom, plugged my laptop in, turned around, and then the teacher's face. <laughs> must have been like so confused like who who is this stranger who's just walked into my classroom so yeah i think that was quite a late night the night before which was to blame for that so uh, yeah two embarrassing stories oh i love that uh, we love a good embarrassing story in the podcast don't you worry <laughs> i like you i like you say uh, one of the things actually as an nqt we had like obviously quite a few training days uh, within the the year and one of the people that came in was a voice coach person and you, you don't quite realize just how much your voice gets put through so much strain and effort when you start teaching and like you yeah, say I, I do think that's when why when you get to a half term literally obviously you are psychologically tired but your voice is so tired as well because you use it so much in the week 
Yeah. I mean, I can feel my voice going now, but I think that's more because of uh, my baby boy rather than the children. <laughs> <laughs> well, that adds even more voice use, usage at home as well. So that's going to have an impact. But yeah, I love it. So yeah, making sure you take a deep, deep breath, get your voice ready. And uh, yeah. When you mentioned the classroom thing, I thought you were going to say, oh, I kind of popped my head in and was so embarrassed the class looked to me. It was the wrong class. But no, you actually went straight in, got set up. And, yeah, I, and walked in, I actually walked in, avoided eye contact with anybody in the classroom, just went straight to the front, like, yeah, right, I mean business, I'm going in. Put the Chromebook in, t- uh, put the Chromebook in, turn around. Yeah, embarrassing. <laughs> Had to apologise. <laughs> Love it. That's amazing. What a great story. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, let's move on then to the main part of our podcast, which is, of course, the primary three. So any new listeners, uh, the primary three are three things about primary education that the guest is very passionate about and thinks is primary and in primary education. It could be resources, top tips, philosophies, absolutely anything. And uh, So you've sent uh, told me your three beforehand, Alex. Thank you very much for that. We're going to start with reading aloud in class. So first of all, do you want to talk about why that? And obviously you've mentioned uh, about your role as reading for pleasure lead and English lead. So obviously this is important and you're working in this environment all the time why is this so important uh, in primary education the, the curriculum is so stacked matt that sometimes the children need that time to just sit down and kind of like escape to that new world where there's you know it's low stakes there's no risk of them um kind of like I don't want to say failing, but there's no risk of them getting something wrong because that is obviously uh, something that frustrates them in the classroom. Just an opportunity for them to listen to somebody reading aloud, reading with that expression, reading with that passion, uh, and and somebody actually modelling and showing their love for a book. I don't think there's any greater thing that can inspire a love of reading than a teacher at the front of the classroom that is invested in what they are reading. Um, and not only that, I mean, I've not met one teacher who doesn't like doing it. Every teacher says, oh, yeah, I love reading to the class, but there's no time to do it. Well, you kind of as a school, you need to make time to do it because not only does it improve the atmosphere in the classroom, children's happiness, but also it does have an impact, I believe, on their writing. It does have an impact on their love of reading. So if you've got something that is so simple, like reading a book in the class, having that much of an impact on different things, why wouldn't you do it? Do you know, do you know what I mean? And and it's something that I've kind of like developed over time, my knowledge of children's authors, because when I when I kind of like arrived at Three Peaks, I was like a lot of the children, like, yeah, love Roald Dahl, Charlie Chocolate Batch is my favourite book ever, you know. Um, but actually me taking the time out to research and look at what else is out there, has benefited myself but also the children because I'm able to offer them new literature and what I'd say is we're in a golden age of children's literature and and I think more teachers sort of need to be aware of what is out there and you're not the first person to say that on this podcast in that phrase that we are in a golden age of children's literature like the amount of variety and the the quality of text out there if you look in the right places as you as we mentioned already with looking in the right places um, you know, there is such a huge array of just really wonderful stories and wonderful places and different voices out there yeah. with children's literature. It, it's great as well, because you will find a book that links to your history or you will find a book that links to it. And it doesn't have to. And I'm very clear on that. I'm very clear that the quality of the book needs to be the most important thing. If it's a if it's a book oh, and it links with the Romans, but actually the quality of it's not very good, then don't use it. But I do think that as the years go by, I think more authors are clocking onto the national curriculum and thinking, okay, there's a few gaps there. 
in Stone Age. There's a few gaps there in Romans. Let's write a book that's set in that time. Mm. And uh, I think it's just going to get better and better and better. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that the, the, the message there is, you know, if you feel like that you're not a teacher that is clued in or tapped into this kind of world of children's literature the, the, the time's now you know don't don't worry yeah. about the fact that you might not have used it in the class in in the past plan ahead and think right what can i use now and and uh, ask around i mean obviously uh for you where where's your go-to places to find a, a good text to read aloud to the class uh twitter <laughs> i mean twitter in terms of kind of like improving the knowledge of, of books out there it's the best cpd you can have uh, teacher twitter there are so many influential figures on here who have such a good knowledge. I mean, I'll find some names at you and you'll you'll probably know straight away. Oh, yeah, you know, Simon Smith with his picture books, Carl Duke with his curriculum books. Um, Kyrome has written a book himself um, that kind of like helps to teach about diversity in the classroom. Teacher Twitter was kind of like the best thing I, I joined, actually, um, in terms of kind of being able to build my repertoire of, of children's literature. Um get me in a Waterstones and I won't come out there for a good two hours, three hours because I'll see a book and I'll be like, oh yeah, I saw that on Twitter, I saw that on Twitter and it's it's kind of like painful for my bank balance. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned there a couple of names, Simon Smith, Carl Duke, or both of whom have been on this podcast and if it, listeners haven't listened to their episodes, then please do go back because some great discussion by Simon Smith, as you mentioned on, pick, on picture books and Carl Duke, his curriculum based in books and how it's a book curriculum just loved that discussion that we had so please do listen back to those uh if you haven't heard those already and if you have listen back again because there's some great things in there to take away um i was also add you had mr boddington i'm sorry matt you had mr boddington dean on uh recently and i'd also add his reading newsletters Mm. um we use them at at three peaks um on a on a kind of a termly basis and they've been fantastic as well in in letting the children know what new books are out there and parents know as well so i'll just add his name to the to the list as well Absolutely. Yeah. Anything like that, which, you know, saves you the time because this person who's already got their hands in all these places where they can find these books, use that expertise and actually help help you to get your school uh, focused on those books as well. So obviously you've got a place, you, you know, Twitter and these people are great resources and places where you can go to find out where these books are. For you then, Alex, once you, um, you know, say you've got a new half term coming up. Um, and you want to find a new book and you want to try and implement it into your class, where, where do you begin in terms of your thought process of selecting that text? Do you look first at your curriculum? Do you just first look at what, what's a good book right, out there right now? Do you look at your cohort? What, what's your kind of approach with that? Uh, well, I'll do one of two things. I mean, the first thing I'll do, if I can, is read the whole book first, you know, because I don't think you can recommend a book unless you've read it and and... I'm very lucky enough to work for um, a website called Literacy Shed, where kind of like my, my one of my jobs is to read the entirety of a text and then write Vipers questions for that text. Um, so I'm looking in that regard. But also, if if I don't have the time to do that, then again, it is I'm looking at people who I respect, people who inspire me, and I'm seeing what they're recommending, and I'm kind of trusting their recommendations. Um, there's a great website f- uh, for fiction called lovereadingforkids.co.uk where you can read the opening chapter or the opening extract of many different fiction and non-fiction books. And that's a good little gateway in just to kind of assess whether it's, you know, accurate for that year group. Um, but yeah, it, it is mainly either reading it myself or listening to recommendations of people that I know have taught it or people I know 
have a good understanding of it. And that's kind of the two routes I go down, really, Matt. Great. So, yeah, so it's, so like you say, it's, it's not so much looking at the curriculum as such coming up. It's looking at some great quality right now. And like you say, if it fits in with your curriculum, then that's even better. Would you say yeah. that's the case? Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks for that shout out for that website, by the way. I've not actually heard of that, lovereadingforkids.co.uk. Because like you say, I think for, especially when you're reading a book to a class, you know, that first chapter is key. You know, if, if that is a chapter that's going to grip them, that's going to really entrance, uh, entrance them. We uh, just started reading um, the book Rooftoppers by Catherine Rundle. Um, and that the first chapter, you know, just absolutely gripped their attention. Uh, it was just so funny, but so mysterious, but also so relatable in some ways as well for the kids. You know, it was just it was just a really good entry. Oh, I read that one. It's a long, it's a long one, but I do think it's one that the children um, will stay with for the entirety. Because Catherine Rundell also wrote, um, is it the Explorer? Was yes, that Rundell as well? Yeah, yeah. She only does. She only writes monsters of books. You know, you, you're talking four hundred pages, but it is an absolute cracker, and I'm sure the children will love that. So that's a good pick. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but like you say, so so being able to use that website and and see the first chapter for yourself, but like you say, reading the book yourself to begin with has to be key. I I I can admit I have read books to the class that I haven't read all the way through myself, and it's always not worked out as well as if I haven't read the whole book myself beforehand. I can I can. Uh, I mean, I'm a big advocate of doing the voices, and I think you can only do the voices if you know what the characters are like. For example. Um, I've read The Great Chocolate Plot by Chris Callahan for four years now. I know it inside out and knowing the characters and their behaviours and personalities really helps you to do the accents for the book as well. And the children, that just invests the children as well, doesn't it? Doing the voices. So Excellent. So, yeah, I think like you say, I mean, my take my takeaway from these are obviously get, get in touch with these people. If you haven't already on Twitter, get get to, I'm going to Google that website once we're done here, because that sounds like a really useful uh, site to use. And like you yeah, say, free as well, which is always a benefit as a teacher. <laughs> fantastic. Even better. That's what we like on. That's what we like to hear that it's free because, you know, teachers are strapped for cash, especially these days as much as it is already. So, uh, no, that's fantastic. So uh, anything else you'd want to add about uh, reading aloud? Uh, no, apart from just make sure it doesn't fall off the timetable, really, because it, it can very easily fall off the timetable, as I spoke earlier about how kind of like the stat the curriculum is. But I really think it should be the last thing that falls off the timetable. It is so important. And as I said, teachers love it. Children love it. Has an impact. Do it. <laughs> Absolutely. And actually, I'm going to share. I mean, listeners listening to this episode will know this already, unless this is like one of the first episodes of listening to. Uh, but we, we've got Peter Harding's episode dropping uh, on Monday. So Monday, the 20th of June. Uh, and he shares a really uh, interesting way that he's found to try and make sure that he doesn't lose that book reading aloud time with the class, that 10, 15 minutes time. Uh, so I'd, I'd encourage you, Alex, to have a listen to it, see what you think about it. But also, listeners, if you I haven't... I would just add as well that if kind of like if you're in that position as English lead or literature lead and you you kind of are worried that it is dropping off the timetable, I think you do need to timetable it. Mm. Uh, make sure it is timetable so you know you can go to that class and you can hear it out loud. Um, because Ofsted, when they come in, they'll want to see it as well. Uh, not that we do it for them, we do it for the children. But if it, if you do feel like it's not happening, I think it's your duty to make sure it is. Fantastic. Really good stuff. OK, let's move on to the second of your primary three then, Alex. Some great stuff there to think about. Uh, let's talk about uh, compassion. 
So uh, why is compassion uh, so important to you in, in the ethos of being a primary school uh, teacher or teaching assistant or, or someone in primary education? Um, well, two reasons. First one, I'll go back to the teacher who inspired me, Miss Kimberly. Um, and, and that was the one thing that I remember about her the most, kind of like her kindness when I was finding things tough. Um, teachers won't remember whether you managed to get them to a certain level on their sats or, or whether you managed to teach them the three times table. What they will manage to remember is how you made a difference to their lives. And also, it was kind of like me reflecting on my personal practice when I was an NQT. I think I was so kind of like, um, what's the word? I, I was so busy with teaching the curriculum that the important things sometimes I was forgetting and I wasn't building um, a great relationship with parents because I was so focused on delivering the, the curriculum. I was missing the things that mattered sometimes. Uh, and, you know, I'm talking about children's fallings out on the playground, you know, children's attitudes to PE and why they might be feeling certain ways to certain subjects and brushing over those because I was so busy all the time. This year, I felt like it's something I've managed to redevelop in my own practice. You know, when, I, when I'm seeing that a child is uh, not finding something easy or there's something outside of the school that's upsetting them, ensuring that I get to the bottom of that and, and, and making sure that school is an atmosphere where they can be expressive and a, an atmosphere where they can be open and honest. And using picture books has helped me massively in being able to do that. And uh, picture books are a fantastic way to kind of open that gateway of discussion to quite difficult subjects, really. Um, so, so that's why I'd say compassion is important. Children children have been through a roller coaster the last couple of years with COVID. It's really, really important that we provide those tools for them to be able to talk honestly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I can I definitely agree with you there with where, where sometimes we are just so focused on trying to get through content, trying to get through lessons. You know, we've got five lessons to get through today, kids. We need to keep going. Oh, no, you've got this problem. Oh, I can't I don't have time for that. I just need you to get on with it. Uh, and I think, it, you know, it does sound harsh when you kind of put it like that. But actually in the moment, you know, we all, I think, sometimes fall into that uh, mindset where we are just so focused on trying to help the children to make progress in each and every lesson, that every child is making progress, that we, we yeah. do miss really important things that are going on. Yeah. We we recently had a former officer inspector in, and um, they, they said to us, you know, the one thing we're hearing the most when we're going into schools is, have children made progress in this lesson? And actually, they said, like, it, it's not all about making progress within one lesson. It might be that you're teaching a recap lesson and and it's and they're not making any progress at all, but they're consolidating something. So I do think that progress sometimes can be a little bit of a dirty word. Mm. Um, children, their, their mental health has to come first. And that is the most important thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. If child A is, you know, his rubber's broken and he's putting his hand up for 10 minutes telling you the same thing over and over again. That that isn't important, but you, you know, as a teacher, you know your children, you know when somebody's not right, and I think making sure that you address that is really, really vital. You mentioned obviously, I mean, clearly, there's times where, as a teacher, you'll know, okay, this this thing here, is it really a big concern, or is it something I need to address? And I think, like you say, in in the midst of a lesson, it's very hard to try and do that unless you 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 develop those relationships, really, isn't it, with the children to know 
how they how they work, what they need, and what they require. So, um, in terms of building those relationships, what would you say are kind of a couple of things that you find really helpful in helping you to really make stronger connections with the children in your class, so you know then what things you need to address? Um, I'd say first thing, something quite simple that you can do is make sure you're on the door to welcome them every morning just a just a good morning how are you you know the children are coming into school they might be nervous they might be sad something might have happened pet rabbit might have died over the weekend just making sure that you're on the door and giving them that smile and that are you okay you know if you need to talk we can talk in a couple of minutes when i've when i've come off the door um that that's really important so children know they're walking into a safe um environment um, another thing I'd say is allowing the children to, to listen to you reading your picture books. You know, they might open up themes that the children wish to talk about. Um, so having kind of like good quality picture books in your classroom that the children can read themselves or be or be read to. For, I find that makes a big difference in terms of them being willing and open and honest to approach you. Um, but also kind of like if you have said to a child you know we'll talk about it in five minutes not forgetting to talk to them in five minutes because the moment you do that it's sort of like well actually they're not that interested in in what I want to say to them so I'll just carry on learning like they want me to and um, I, I won't approach them um, so it, it does kind of be, have to be a whole school approach really to that it kind of one teacher not doing it and another teacher is doing it everybody needs to be on the same page with that mm. and that's a very there's so many great points there um, this this point about being on the door to welcome it so this is actually something that I've been trying to be a lot more persistent with I'm certainly not been perfect at it this year um, but not be not having me kind of um, slicing pieces of paper or doing something quickly on my laptop as the children are coming in or that kind of thing. Uh, the days where I am doing that kind of thing uh, this year and the days where I haven't been and I've kind of been stood by the door and said, oh, hi, guys, are you all right? How are you doing? Oh, how are you doing today? Uh, I know that there's, there was the, the whole kind of thing that happened before COVID, obviously, with the handshakes at the door and things like that. Uh, I, I'm not particularly uh, into that myself, but I think that, you know, having some sort of interaction as they come into the classroom and just welcoming them and just letting them know that you are there, however you want to do that as a teacher, handshakes or not, I think is is a really important principle that you mentioned there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sometimes it's only a small issue that it couldn't be a two minute conversation with them, but it can be something that is taking up and consuming them so much. Perfect example, I had one child who used to hide around the corner before he came in every morning. And I just could not get to the bottom of it. I was convinced it was a home issue. Actually, it wasn't. It was a school issue. It was he was really scared of writing for long amounts of time. And I'd missed that. And and it wasn't until I said, right, you go into the middle room. Um, if you need a little bit of time in the toilet just to clean yourself up, because he was crying quite a lot. So I said, you know, clean yourself up. And then when you're ready, go into the middle room and we'll have a chat. Five minute chat, got to the bottom of it. And I knew as a teacher, right, he needs a little bit more support. And it was something I'd missed and then I haven't had an issue since with him coming in. So often it can be something small. It can be something as trivial as forgetting something uh, that he should have brought in, like his reading diary or something. But having that conversation is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, very often when you have those short minute, two minute conversations, it then solves or avoids potential bigger conversations and issues that you then have to deal with, which will then take yeah. away more of your time. Definitely. 
So yeah, but yeah, absolutely, some some great points there. Thanks for that, uh, Alex. Let's move on then uh, to the third of your primary three, uh, which is about times tables. Now, obviously, um, we are recording this on the 18th of June, so we are in the midst of the first proper year four multiplication tables check. So I, I love how uh, this is coming up uh, in, in this time here. Uh, but obviously, multiplication tables check aside, because you know m most teachers should know that we don't need a test to know that multiplication tables are important to know. Uh, why are, first of all, for, why, why for you, Alex, uh, is times tables such an important part of primary education? And then we'll talk about your approach to, uh, to developing that in your school. I just think it forms so much of the maths curriculum and, you know, you're teaching fractions, the children need to know their times tables. You're teaching area and perimeter. Children, if they know their times tables, that becomes a lot easier. Um, so I think it is part of everything we do in maths, um, times tables. So if we can provide children with practice, teaching them, ensuring that they know them by the end of year three, um, or most of them by the end of year three, might be pushing the boat a little bit say all of them uh, but it, it is going to help them massively not only in primary but in secondary but in life as well because the amount of times you need to use your times tables you know you're going shopping I'm buying two of that product how much is going to come to is really useful and we we've kind of like we'll talk about TT Rockstars I'm sure in a minute we've we've found that to be a priceless tool in the school uh, in the last couple of years absolutely and, and uh, do you know I love to hear um, how different schools use um, resources such as Times Tables Rockstars. You know, when you go on various groups or teacher networks or Facebook groups or whatever, and people ask, oh, what do you do in your school to, to improve Times Tables? 90% of the time, if not more, it, people say Times Tables Rockstars. But obviously, um, the way schools use it is very different. You know, so I'd love to hear how you, how do you use Times Tables Rockstars in your school to help develop the learning of, of Times Tables? Yeah, so we, we often, well, we every week we set the children a certain times tables to learn um, and we won't kind of like move them on to the next one until we're confident that they, they know that times tables. And we'll ask them in school as well. So we'll sit with them one to one and we'll just work through each of the times tables and we'll see whether they know them before we move them on. Um, but also we're very keen on ensuring it's not just TT rock stars. We have kind of like the one meter sticks. We put the post-its on and the, we point to the, we point to the numbers and the children love that. It's kind of like a class, but it's class teacher versus class competition. You point to the, the numbers, they read them out loud. You, you, you know, you pull off post-it notes and I've actually had some of the children doing that at home themselves. So they've kind of like had the, had the kind of like a ruler or something and they've put little post-it notes on and they're practicing with their brother and sister and just that rapid recall of times tables, obviously, is going to going to be massive for that multiplication check, but also in year five, year six as well. So, yeah, I, I was just sat there thinking about the year six curriculum and trying to find an area where there isn't, you know, times tables at some point within that that area. It, it's virtually impossible because it is so integrated in everything we do in maths, particularly as we go I mean, further and further. And cutting some year six teachers some slack, you know, if we can help them in any way by making sure their times tables are, are accurate by the time they reach year six, the curriculum's difficult itself. So just making sure that you pay, you play your role. You know, you know what the national curriculum says about times tables and which times tables they should learn by each year group. And just playing your role in the jigsaw puzzle, I think, will help the school, obviously, and help the children. Absolutely. And as a year six teacher myself, like, it, it, it's become evident, particularly to this year, obviously, because this has been the first, I say normal year. I mean, it wasn't normal to begin with, for, for sure. But 
you know we've been in school all year generally um, and there has been it's been a real noticeable difference with the children who have just not had the support at home perhaps as much as they've had in school to learn their times tables when we've come to different parts of the curriculum you just see the difference between a child perhaps that doesn't know the times tables as well and a child that does that child that doesn't know the times tables as well they may you know be able to um I, I, um have access or be able to reach you know what the tr we're trying to do as a class but because they don't have that times tables knowledge it's had a real barrier and a real impact on how quickly they've been able to go through those problems yeah yeah definitely 100 percent agree with you there and i think this year you are going to see that gap the most probably than any other year um because obviously your year five have had that full year in school as well this year so hopefully that kind of like that improves next year fingers crossed we can only hope who knows what the next year will bring uh but yeah no it's, it's fascinating to hear how you use the time tables rock stars and like you say not just using because i think i get a little bit frustrated at times when people just say the answer as what we do for time tables is time tables rock stars well time tables rock stars is a platform on which children can practice their times tables um, retrieval which is great but it's not teaching them the times tables yeah, uh, I, I, do, I do get a bit of, um, uh, frustrated when people just say, oh, it's just time tables, rock stars, because it, it shouldn't be. Because... Yeah, it's the same with handwriting, Matt, isn't it? It's the same as handwriting. You know, you, you give a child, a, a, a you know, one of those handwriting books, it's already got the words joined up. You're not teaching them that you're just allowing them to practice. There needs to be a teaching element of it, which is why I think the meter stick's really useful. Um, and, and we do a lot of kind of like arrays in year two and, we use a lot of apparatus in the classroom as well to support us with that with that teaching. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the meter stick. It's something which I've used year three up to year six. Uh, even the year six love it. You know, every now and then I just pull it out and say, right, let's go for it. And they just like go, they just try and do it as quick as they can and as loud as they can, which is great. We'll just all uh, take these posts off. We'll point to different different areas. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's a good way of just getting uh, some understanding of what the times tables actually mean rather than just a bunch of abstract numbers that go together in a pattern. If I can also quickly add another resource that slipped my mind earlier, but we use it and the children absolutely love this as well. I don't know if you've ever heard of 99 Club. Oh, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it in action myself. Go on, Joe, yeah, tell me about so, that. So the children are effectively, again, it's not a teaching of times tables. It's more a kind of practicing of times tables. But the children go from 11 club all the way to platinum club. Uh, if it's the 11 club, they've got 11 questions, 22 club, 22 questions and so on. Uh, they're given five minutes to answer as many questions as you can. And then obviously when the children complete that club, they then move on to the next club. And just the whole labelling it as a club. Oh, I'm in the 33 club. The children absolutely love it. So it's, it's, it's quite simple and it's kind of like the mechanics of it. But the, we found the children absolutely love it at, at Three Peaks. Oh, that's great. I have to look into that. Is that a, is that like an online platform or is it a paper based? Uh, it's a, we use it as worksheets. Um, so they're worksheets you can print off. It's our maths lead that introduced it, so I would be none the wiser of whether it's free or not. But it, it's kind of like, as I said, the mechanics of it is very simple. It's just improve it, it kind of increasing the amount of questions that the children answer mm. um, in that five minute slot and obviously that, that's done in silence as well and i think that's so key and i think that we are five in year six uh, as maths lead in my school uh obviously you know year one well early years in year one kind of have their own uh we've kind of set like a challenge that isn't times tables obviously but they've got like counting in multiples of 
two, fives and tens and different challenges like that, which prepare them obviously for the, the principles of time tables. And then year two, particularly spring term and upwards, uh, up to year four, we have the time tables, rock stars and things like that. But even in year five and six, I say, we need to be doing a five minute element of time tables practice in each class in year five and year six, because with the, they may know the times tables. I mean, they all don't. So we need to keep doing it. But also those yeah. that do need to improve the fluency. And that's going to help them to work a quicker processing at speed uh, that, that we want. Uh, but I, I, I personally use the, work, the, the worksheets from times tables, rock stars themselves. To try and you know have a different variety of ways of, of practicing and doing different things. So obviously, any listeners who uh, are using any of these or haven't heard of Ninety Nine Club, I, I'm going to have a look at that as well and and see what what that's like because I think that sounds like a really useful way of using that in a school and trying to add a bit of pers- trying to beat children's own personal best, which I think is the right way to go about it with the Times Tables Rock Stars as well, which is great. Um, thank you so much, Alex. Again, brilliant. Loads of stuff there to, to dive into. I've got uh, two last questions to ask you uh, on this podcast okay. episode today. First of all, um, who would you recommend for a future interview on this podcast? Oh, Matt, you, you've interviewed so many already <laughs> that I'll probably say a name that you've already interviewed. Um, there's Emma Stanley, who is um, an English lead, I believe, in a school uh, not far from me. Um, she has these fantastic kind of like subject on a page documents that always catch my eye on Twitter. So talking about leadership of a subject with her might be fascinating. Mm. Um, Rob Smith from the Literature Shed. He's always so knowledgeable um, to listen to. Um, you know, he has Math Shed, Literature Shed, Phonics Shed. So he, he's kind of like got a, a big umbrella of knowledge that he can share with you. Uh, and finally, um, Ashley Booth, who created um, a whole kind of like whole class reading scheme by uh, his school and using some of the colleagues at his other schools as well. Talking about reading with him is uh, is, is very interesting as well. So there's three, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Those are three excellent ones, uh, which I can't wait to get into contact with. Thank you so much. And finally, for you, just to round things off, uh, what is the best thing about being in primary education? The best thing about being in primary education is being able to make silly voices when you're reading to the children and not have people giving you weird faces. <laughs> I love that. I love that because it's unique. No one said that before, but you know, it is so true. Being able to just express yourself and just have a bit of fun uh, and the kids absolutely loving it. I just love that. That's great. <laughs> Uh, thanks thank you so much Alex it's been a great honour and privilege to have you on here some great ideas to take away and some things to have a go with and things to reflect on in our practice so thanks for joining us on Primary Education Voices thank you Matt Well, once again, another fantastic episode. Uh, Alex was a great guest on the podcast uh, and had shared with us a number of brilliant ideas, of course, uh, focusing around uh, reading to begin with, but also about compassion, about times tables, uh, and just sharing his love of primary education uh, and what inspired him to get involved in primary education in the first place. Um, In terms of his primary three, as I always summarise at the end of each episode, reading uh, aloud to the children, of course, uh, was... Uh, straight away something that he wanted to talk about and try and uh, champion the idea that we need to make sure we set time aside for reading aloud to the class. Ironically, this is probably something that everyone, as he said, as teachers, we enjoy and we realise the importance of doing, but also it's probably something that a lot of us um, struggle to find time for at times. 
Or if we do find the time and timetable it, uh, sometimes it falls off um, or falls out of the day because we've got so many other things to try and finish and do. Um, <clears throat> as he mentions, that this time to relax, listen to a story being read by someone who is showing passion for that reading will have a huge impact on many areas of English, their writing, their own reading ability, their desire and their motivation to read as well, um, and helping children to be aware of the diverse world of authors that we have available in children's literature today. I was uh, particularly interested to see uh, how um, Alex went about choosing a new text or went about deciding what story he would read next with his class. Uh, and it was great to uh, to hear about a couple of places he would go, a couple of individuals, uh, and also the website Love, Free, Love Reading for Kids, uh, with the number four in that. Uh, and, well, having looked briefly at the website myself, it looks like a fantastic platform to find out some brilliant um, avenues of children's literature, literature today and be able to pick out some great new stories for your children uh, to, to find out about, uh, dealing with... Um, not just, you know, some narratives which they will enjoy, but also stories which really address uh, some uh, social issues today. And so, uh, so a really uh, interesting resource, which I really recommend you use. Um, the second of the primary three that he shared, of course, was about the need to show compassion. And I completely understood what he was saying about this. The need to recognise that each child has their own personal needs, that they have their own um differences between each other that we can't just expect them all to respond the same way every time like robots that we need to be aware of that they all have lives outside of school which is a huge part of what makes them them that gives them their personality um, and it is very easy to get lost in the day-to-day -day rush of trying to cram that curriculum into the class uh, and not realize that we need to take some time to listen and to make sure all the children in our classes are okay because that can as he mentioned, um, avoid issues later, uh, whether it's between yourself and, and the child in, in a lesson or whether it's between that child and another child in the playground, perhaps. And it's, um, and the worries and the anxieties that, that they are feeling are expressed in that way. Uh, and so I just think that, that is a, a great uh, point to make. And he mentioned, of course, um, the fact that Ofsted, you know, are looking at mental health and being more aware of our, our need to help children, not because you know, we're going to be kept accountable for it, but because it is, it is important. It's just important to make sure that children are, are cared for. They feel uh, needed. They feel like they are valued and that they have someone who is there at school to make sure that they are okay. Uh, and so he shared some ways in which he has done this himself this year to, to improve his own practice in that, being on the door to welcome the children as they enter, use picture books to be able to open up discussions and avenues about issues that may be affecting them. And of course, when you say you're going to talk to them about something, making sure you do go and speak to them. And finally, uh, times tables. I mean, as a maths lead myself, I'm very passionate about the need to drive and promote uh, pra uh, learning and practice of times tables knowledge in, in school. Uh, and I love hearing how different schools and, and practitioners do this. Uh, and it was great to hear Alex um, and the, the various ways that he does this, including, of course, Times Tables Rock Stars, but how they teach the Times Tables in the school and not just use Times Tables Rock Stars to practice that. But also uh, the 99 Club, which I'm going to, uh, after recording this, dive into and see if I can find out more about. So all in all, fantastic content, brilliant thoughts by uh, Alex and great CPD for us to enjoy and to, uh, to reflect on our own practice with. If there is anyone uh, that you would recommend, 
for a future interview on this podcast, then please do contact me on Twitter through at Prime Edu Voices or me personally at mroberts90matt and let me know what inspiring primary teacher, TA, support staff or leader you would love to hear featured on a future episode. As always, and as I always ask you to, please review uh, and subscribe to the podcast. Leaving a quick review on your podcasting platform will really help get the word out about primary education voices and open up our network to so many more uh, teachers and, um, and school practitioners. Thank you again for joining us and see you again next time until we will meet, uh, when we will meet another inspirational educator.